Um, well, again, welcome everybody. Thanks so much for being out here to worship with us. If I've never met you, if you're visiting with us today or if you're joining us online, my name is Joe Cutchall. I'm the Director of Worship and Creative Arts here at Grace Commons, and it's uh, I'm honored again that I get to, to speak with you this morning. Um, so for the last several weeks at our church, we've been in this series called Bedrock, where we're walking through our core values as Grace Commons Church. And if you've been paying attention to that, you know that the underpinning verse for all of our core values is based on the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so today, what we're doing is we're just kind of hitting pause on that sermon series in the sense that we're not going to be talking about one of our core values, but we are going to be talking about baptism. Because I hope that you know, as we've been coming out here for the last several years, that, that baptism is what today is really all about because it's nice to be together it's nice to have fellowship in the sunshine and go play in the water but we're here to celebrate baptism and hopefully you've also heard that today we have this opportunity to reaffirm our baptism for those of us who have already made this public declaration of faith to to follow Jesus and and friends as I as I've thought more about this in in preparation for this sermon I think that this, this opportunity that we have to reaffirm our baptism, to remember who we are in Jesus, I, I don't think that that's a coincidence for us right now. And I actually think that remembering this core identity of who we are and what we declare through baptism, that that might be one of the most important things that we can do as a church right now. And so we're going to talk about why that might be important for us. And to get us kicked off with that, I'm going to start out with a, with a story. This is a story from, from my life. It was when I was a music education major at CU Boulder. And um, I don't remember exactly when this happened. Uh, it would have been about 2009, 2010, I'm thinking. But a guy named Victor Wooten came to give a master class at the CU Music School. And just show of hands if you know who Victor Wooten is. Okay, bonus points for you. Great job. If you don't know who Victor Wooten is, um, he's one of the best electric bass players uh, ever. So he, uh, he's one of the best to ever play the instrument. He comes to give this master class at CU. And I didn't even play bass at that point, but I'm like, I know who he is. I'm not going to miss it. And if you've never been to a master class before... The way that this works is that there will be the, the master who ser sort of serves as a clinician and a student will get up and usually perform a piece and the, the, the master will workshop this piece for the benefit of the audience who, that's usually comprised of other people who study this instrument on the professional level. And all that is to say that I think it's maybe the most high pressure situation you can be under as a performer is to be the, the person who's playing a piece at a master class. And so what happens is this undergrad student gets up to perform a piece in front of Victor Wooten and all these professionals. And normally at a master class, it's usually like a grad student, a doctoral candidate, but this guy is just an undergrad and he's playing for one of the best in the world. So you can imagine how nervous he must have been. And clearly he, he gets up there and he's playing this piece called Portrait of Tracy. 
And it's this piece by another famous bass player, Jaco Pastorius. And, and you can see how nervous he is, but you can see as he's going through this piece, he is trying to do everything right. He's trying to play everything. He's trying to, trying to play the way that the university conservatory has taught him to play. He's trying to pay attention to these really technical passages and, and you know, work on his phrasing and his articulation and really stay focused. But the thing is, is that he had quite a few mistakes as he was playing through this piece. And you could tell by the end of it that he wasn't super happy with his own performance. And those of us who are sitting out there in the audience, we're in sort of this university music conservatory mindset too. So we're expecting at the end of this piece to see what we've seen at other master classes, which is for Victor Wooten to, to say, okay, that was a great first attempt, but like I noticed, you know, here's three places that we could kind of go back and work on. And I noticed that we could work on your dynamics or your, your phrasing here in this section, but that's not what Victor Wooten does. At the end of this piece, there's, there's sort of this pause and, and Victor Wooten doesn't have him go back and practice any of the technical stuff that he, that he messed up on. He just asked him a question. He said, what was the song about? And you could see by the look on this student's face that this, this question, it wasn't even part of his preparation. It wasn't even something that he had considered. And so he sort of asks back to Victor Wooten, like, well, what's well, about Tracy? And Victor Wooten says, yeah, and who is Tracy? And it's clear that, that he doesn't know. He has no idea that in all his preparation, he hadn't learned who the song was about. And so Victor Wooten explains, well, Tracy was Jacko Pistorius' wife. And he doesn't correct any of the technical stuff, doesn't have him go back and work on anything that he messed up. He just has him play the song again from the top. But this time, play it knowing that it was written about a person that the composer dearly loved at the time that it was written. And so he plays through it again, and guess what? He still didn't play it perfectly. But he played it differently. He played it with, with more sensitivity, like it was, he was trying to communicate through the song that it was about somebody that the composer loved and not like a test that he was going to be graded on. And so this was, this was a really significant moment for me, not just as a musician and not just as a performer, but as a person of faith. And I think that there is a lesson maybe for us in our church today as we talk about this idea, particularly of reaffirming baptism. And I say that because if you've been part of our church for basically any length of time, right, longer than about five minutes, you know that there is a lot going on. There is a lot happening at Grace Commons. We have so many changes and so many challenges and so many uncertainties and all these really important decisions that need to be made and, and they're hard to wrap our minds around and they can feel threatening. They can even feel hurtful at times, if we're being honest. And I don't need to name what all of those are, but what I know is that all of us from each of our respective points in the community, we're all doing our best. We're all trying our hardest to figure all these things out. But what I think we need to realize in the midst of all these really important moving pieces is that we don't want to become like the undergrad student in this story where in trying our absolute hardest, in trying our absolute hardest to play the song correctly, we actually forget what the song is about in the first place. We forget that there is a bigger reason why we're here and why all of those important decisions actually matter in the first place. And friends, what I would submit to you today is that this right here, 
this is what the song is actually about. That seeing people commit their lives to Jesus, this is the reason that we continue to fight and, and see through all of this change and make these really challenging and important decisions. That, that things like our core values, that those exist because of this great commission to baptize and to make disciples of all nation and nations. And if, if by chance we, either as individuals or as a congregation, if we have gotten lost in the notes on the page, so to speak, if we have gotten lost in the details, then I also think that coming out here and celebrating baptism or reaffirming our baptism, this should be kind of like our Victor Wooten moment. This should be the thing that wakes us up and makes us remember that we're part of something bigger, that every time that we see somebody descend and rise up out of the water of baptism, it retells a story. And it's a story that's so good that it has sustained the church for 2,000 years, long before me or before you or before anybody knew the name Grace Commons or First Presbyterian Church of Boulder. And it's a story that says simply, friends, that God has come near. And because of that, sins can be forgiven, that we have been given the right to become children of God, and that death itself has been defeated. And so just for a moment, wherever we find ourselves spiritually, we're just going to take a moment to see if we can remember what that song is all about. So a long time ago, the Apostle Paul, he was writing a letter to the early church in Rome. And ironically enough, in this letter, he was trying to convince these, uh, or trying to convey to these early Romans, these early Roman Christians, exactly the same thing that we're out here doing today. He was trying to get them to remember the identity that is declared through their baptism. And this is what he said. He said, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And he goes on just a few verses later to say, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've been around the church for any length of time, whether, whether you know, even if you're just vaguely away, aware of, of the basics of Christian doctrine, you've heard that Jesus can forgive sins. But, but what, what we have to understand is that what Paul's saying in this passage, it's, it's much, much more substantial than that. Paul says that we are baptized into Christ's death and to count ourselves dead to sin. And that's a big statement. If you really start to think about that, that's kind of confusing. That takes some unpacking because friends, what the, the depth of redemption that we proclaim in our baptism, it isn't just God like patting us on the back and saying, you know, it's okay. Um, and forgiving us that way. He's saying that once we make this decision to follow Jesus, once the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart, that the, the broken, sinful person that we were, that person isn't just forgiven. That person has died. They've been crucified with Christ. That's the way that he put it in a, in a passage that many of us have memorized over the years, Galatians 2.20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
But here's the thing. It's such a big statement. It's such a monumental statement. It's so incomprehensible to our human nature that most of us, right, even if we have said yes to Jesus in the past, most of us can't fully accept it. And so we continue to live at least in some way like our old, broken, dead, former selves. And and if you'll go with me for just a second, I think that there's a perfect illustration that many of us might be able to relate to. So show of hands, who's seen the movie The Sixth Sense? Okay, some of you will get this. This might not land as well as I wanted it to. But if you haven't seen the ending of that movie, I apologize, I'm about to spoil it for you. Um, but to be fair, it's a 23-year-old movie. Like, you had plenty of time to, to see it. And it's, I think it's a really good illustration, so I hope you'll go with me. So in the, in the sixth sense, Bruce Willis plays this character who is this world-renowned child psychologist. And after something really traumatic happens to him, his, his life kind of starts to fall apart. He can't help anybody anymore. His career seems to be um, stagnant, and his marriage seems to be broken, and he's in these, like, paralyzed cyclical cycles. And then at the end of the movie, he finally realizes that this whole time that he's been a ghost, that he's been dead this whole time. And friends, if we don't know or, or when we forget or when we reject our identity that is declared through our baptism, this is what we end up doing. We walk around as these ghosts who are trapped in the same patterns, the same addictions, the same suffering, these same regrets and cycles of shame. And we forget that because of Jesus, that's actually not who we are anymore. That the person who was addicted, the person who was dishonest, the person who hurt somebody they cared about, the person who has all these regrets that they can't change and the things that they keep reliving over and over and over again, that person isn't just forgiven. That person is gone because we are baptized into Christ's death. But it gets even better than that because just a, just a couple chapters later, in Romans 8, Paul says this. This is amazing. For those of us who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are, cha- if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. See, friends, what our baptism declares is not just that we can be forgiven, not just that our old self has died, but that in place of that old self now stands a son or a daughter of God a co-heir with Christ, a child of the king. And, and the thing is, again, that kind of redemption, it's so staggering, it's so unthinkable to us as humans that most of us, again, we can't fully accept it, it because it's too good. It's too, it's too good, right? It actually is offensive to our innate sense of, of justice and conscience, Because we literally can't fathom the kind of grace that would allow us to be co-heirs with Jesus. 
all right? But, but setting that reality aside, I want us to just for a second think about the people of Boulder, right? The believers, non-believers alike. Think about the, that message and the people of Boulder, the people you know, the people who are currently walking around in that ghost-like existence, right? Think about our high schoolers and our middle schoolers who are struggling with depression and substance abuse. And, and suicidal thoughts more than any other generation before them. Think about our, our young adults and our college students on the Hill who are just desperately lonely, who are unable to form meaningful relationships. Think about your coworkers and your friends and your neighbors and, and everyone who's just racked these days with anxiety and cynicism and nihilism at the state of the world, even when we live in a glorious place like this. I would ask what better message could we hear? What better message could those people hear than you were never supposed to live like that? You were never supposed to be afraid all the time. You were never supposed to be a slave to your regrets and your addictions and your fears. You were meant to be a son or a daughter of God. And friends, that's simply the magnitude of what our baptism declares. But if you can believe it, it gets even better than that. If we jump back to Romans 6, Paul says this, For if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, in rising up out of the waters of baptism, we declare not just that sins can be forgiven, not just that we are sons and daughters of God, but that death itself has been defeated. This is, the, this is the unthinkable capstone of the gospel message. This is why the church for generations before us has been willing to lay down their very lives to fulfill that great commission and preach the gospel to all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because they believed they believed that the strength of God's love in Jesus was so powerful that death literally couldn't contain it. And that because their savior was resurrected, that they too would be re resurrected as part of a new eternal creation. And so friends, by our baptism, we stand with Jesus and we stare death in the face. We stare this great curse, this great brokenness of the universe, this one thing that we can't overcome no matter how smart or resourceful or how much money we have, we'll never be able to fix it. And we stand with Jesus and we stare death in the face and we say, you are a lie. You have no victory. You have no sting because I am no longer a slave to fear. We are no longer slaves to fear that we are sons and daughters of God. And see, friends, the thing is, is if that's true, if we are united with Christ, not just in his death, but in his resurrection, then the children of God have nothing to fear ever. If that's true, there is hope always. Because God has come near. Because sins can be forgiven, that we have been given the right to become children of God, and death itself has been defeated. That's what we declare through our baptism. That's the unbroken song of the last 2,000 years. That's what we celebrate today. And so I ask you, 
not rhetorically. You are welcome to respond to this. I ask you, is that good news? I think it is. Okay? So if you agree with that, then my charge for us today is just that we hold on to it, that, that we would go back to our lives and our church and these individual pieces that we're going through, like our core values and our building and our programs and our staff and all the time and the money that we've invested in, we would see that this right here, this is what it's actually for. That all of it would be leveraged not toward just revitalizing our church, but toward this moment in somebody's life. Where, where a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or your coworker or an octogenarian in a nursing home, they wade into the waters of baptism and they declare, I have decided to follow Jesus. Not because it adds another number to our congregation, but because we, as redeemed children of God, rejoice with all of the heavens that one more person has heard the voice of the good shepherd and come home that one more person has come alive for the first time. So friends, we have a chance to start that out today. Uh, we have a chance to rejoice with, with the people who have already decided that they want to be baptized today. We're gonna hear from them in just a second. But I'm also excited to say, I, we've never been able to say this in the time that I've been at Grace Commons, but if, if you find yourself in a, in a position where you are sitting there and you think, I would like to make this public declaration of faith, I would like to be baptized today, you have a chance to do that. Yeah, Randy's going to come up here in just a minute and, and explain what, what that looks like. And then for, for most of the rest of us, we have this chance to reaffirm our baptism, to simply Remember who we are in Jesus. If we feel like we've strayed or we've, we've, we've just forgotten to stop living as our old dead selves. And then lastly, what I would say if, is if you're out there and you don't fall into really any of those categories, if you're, if you're maybe on the fringes of our community or you're interested in Jesus, but you're, you're not quite ready to take that step of, of publicly declaring your faith, my, my invitation to you is simply just let us know how we can help you. Right? Let's, let's figure out how to be in conversation, um, and, and hopefully that we can show you what this life in Jesus looks like. Friends, the, the charge that I have for us today is to simply remember what the song is about. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to continue in worship. Lord Jesus, thanks for the chance to come outside and, and be together as a family. We thank you for, for the beauty that surrounds us in this, in this place that we live. We thank you for your spirit being present in our hearts as believers, that you have taken up residence in, in, in our hearts, Lord. And, and we pray that, that if we have drifted from that reality, that we would come back to it today, that you would encourage us that there is nothing to fear because of your death and your resurrection. We give you this day. We celebrate with you these people who are turning to you for, for we, celebrate these, we celebrate with these people who are turning to you, Lord. And we give all of this day and this worship to you in Jesus' name. Amen.